Hi, everybody, and welcome to Geek Speak Louder Than Nerds, a weekly rewatch podcast for TV shows, movies, and this week, perhaps a discussion on how aggressive is too aggressive in regards to farting when someone stabs you with a lightsaber. My name's Nick Farrow. And I'm Mike Kilty. How you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good as well. Today has been... A lovely Monday. We're recording off schedule again, but that one's on me this time because I was just uh, too sleepy to do anything Saturday night. Being old. Shame on you. Not committed. Not committed to this. That's right. Unacceptable. Hey, sports fans out there. You're in for a treat because we're going to be talking about the upcoming Golden Globes, which for us in the before times, we just found out the nominations. So this is going to be cool. How does that sound? That sounds great. Let's talk about them. And also, we're only talking about movies. We're not talking about the BS TV part of it. Well, the first category I want to talk about, Best Motion Picture Animated Awards. The nominees are The Boy and the Heron, Elemental, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, The Super Mario Movie, Suzume, and For Some Reason, Wish. (laughs) I think For Some Reason, Wish. The only reason why that is is because Disney really needs a win, and they are going to do whatever they can to get that and Elemental into the into the category, which Elemental belongs there, Wish does not. I only half agree with that. I, I definitely agree Wish does not. But Elemental... So here's the thing. I'm wondering if the, the Golden Globes only watch these animated movies on mute because Elemental and Super Mario are in here solely for their animation. The story in Elemental is muddied and not very deep. And the Super I, Mario Brothers I, is non-existent. Yes. So. The Super Mario Brothers one, there's no story to speak of. It's pretty much a glorified way of just saying, hey, I want to throw in all these Super Mario things into some story. And hopefully it makes sense, but it's just filled with cameos and action pieces that really don't yeah. add up to the sum of the... And needle it's drops. More, it's more fun. I feel like Elemental... It was trying to say something. I don't think it was muddy. I just think that they just kept it too surface level. Yeah, that's that's a better way of... They're also not doing anything new, creative, or innovative, which Pixar is known for. And it's just, it it didn't happen with this. I, I really liked Elemental. My daughter fell asleep. It's funny enough, I really didn't like Elemental. I thought the music was gorgeous. I think the animation was gorgeous. The story just bored the crap out of me. My kids loved it. I didn't I didn't even bother to take him in the theaters. But when Disney Plus hit, they watched it like five times in a week. I was like, OK, I was wrong. They they really enjoyed this one. What are you going to do? Way to go. I know. Next right. I will. Normally, I get it right. This time I got it wrong. Here, Who do you think where... is the front runner in this category is? OK, so there's a huge difference between who I think is the front runner and who I think should win. I think the okay. front runner is probably Spider-Man. If these were the movies, and if I was somebody who was voting, I wouldn't vote for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I agree. I would not. As much as I disagree with Dicer's take that it's half a movie, I also kind of agree that it shouldn't get the award because it is, in certain areas, half a story. But, like... I still had a blast. I, yeah. I still, like, <laughs> I still, I still really liked it. 
if you take this movie from Gwen's perspective only and you treat that final scene with Miles as a post credit scene and not as the the last 20 minutes of the movie, it is a complete story arc character wise for Gwen. Like she does kind of have a beginning, middle and an end in this. And I think it really works well. However, the whole Miles of it all being that he's the, the technically the main lead Technically, the main lead. I kind of see this movie as more of Gwen's movie because she gets she starts it. She has the big emotional punch with her own parent, not an alt parent. Miles does come to a realization. He makes the leap, even though he's not in the right universe. But I do think that the movie does skew more towards Gwen's struggle. I think they weave it perfectly together. And in that case, he's right. It is only half a movie. But if you look at it from Gwen's perspective, she had a full arc, and I'm I'm satisfied with that. But yes, I don't think I'd vote for that. I just saw Boy and the Heron, and I think that one deserves it. But I mean, and I and that's a movie that I didn't even love that much. I I really liked it a lot. It was just so stunning. Like it's it's perfect animation. Like this is how you do animation. This Miyazaki kid, he he's going places. Yeah, just <laughs> plucking a little startup with you know his studio and everything like that. Hopefully he's he's going. He's got places. many more years to come for great animation. I I believe. Right. So yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with that. I'm I'm rooting for that mainly because I am rooting for Miyazaki. Because hasn't it been reported that this is allegedly his last movie? But like, allegedly he's, again, he's, this is his retirement. He said that multiple oh. times. So yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I haven't fact checked this, but I'm gonna trust that my wife was you know, reading an article that was truthful. Apparently, Boy in the Heron was number one in the box office this weekend, domestically. So, like, that would be his first number one domestic box office weekend, which, go out on a high, man. Like, really, really retire this time. Good for him. Because that's, a, that's an excellent career swan song right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, I cannot believe Nimona didn't get a nomination for the freaking animated awards. Um... It's probably because Disney paid an arm and a leg to get Wish on the yeah, that's probably it on the docket. Well, which oh. uh, which category do you want to talk about next? Let's tackle best original song because this one should be short. Because for six nominations, there's only four movies. So Barbie Man sweeping this category. What was I made for? Dance the night, and I'm just Ken. I'd like to apply for your job at Beach. And then we've got She Came to Me from Addicted to Romance, which I've never heard. But it's a Bruce Springsteen song, so that could be part of the reason. Oh, no, wait. She Came to Me is the name of the The movie. movie. (laughs) That's why I never heard of the song is Addicted to Romance from the movie She Came to Me by Bruce Springsteen. Then we've got Road to Freedom from the movie Rustin by Lenny Kravitz. And one that we all debated for months and months and months. Would it or wouldn't it get nominated? It is... Peaches by Jack Black for the Super Mario Brothers movie. There's a TikTok going around that Jack Black went to a Jonas Brothers concert and came out as Bowser and sang Peaches. And the the audience went nuts. Rightfully so. I think my favorite Peaches video is the one where the little boy in the elementary school is dressed as Bowser and he's playing it on the piano and singing to the auditorium. It was so and the great. Audio, and the auditorium is going 
nuts. They're all how... singing along with him, and all the parents are like, what is happening? <laughs> oh, I loved it. I don't know. Looking at this list, I haven't seen Rustin yet, so I can't really comment on that. It does feel a little bit like that song from Selma, who mm. kind of cleaned up during award season. Even though I'm just looking forward to hearing Jack Black perform this during award season, I don't think this has a chance. I hope they nominate it at every show and he has to perform it at every single one. Can you imagine if Bowser came out on stage? But I hope it doesn't win because that would just be a smack in the face to the rest of the nominations. Yeah. Uh, my my hope is I'm so torn because it's like Billie Eilish's song was the song that that was the best song. But I really want I'm Just Ken. I I do. I want I'm too. Just Ken because that's another one I want to see get performed at the freaking Oscars. Does that make us a little bit tone deaf about here we are talking about the Barbie movie and we want the song <laughs> about Ken to win? <laughs> I'm sorry, it might, I'm very well might. Listen, I loved the Barbie movie. I loved it for all of its empowering fight the patriarchy messages. I I just, Ryan Gosling, man, come on. He's just so funny. He literally tries as hard as he can to steal that show. And yet somehow the movie manages to still go above him and not let him steal the show. So I feel like you're safe to nominate and hope for a win for Ken because he needs a win. In Barbie land, He's, Ken needs a win. This isn't being a man enough. He he is Ken enough. So I want to go from these musical categories before we get into the acting ones. I want to talk about, as you put it, the bullshit award. There should be the same set of rules for everyone. <laughs> Listen, this award is pretty much the equivalent to me of a participation trophy. What, it's what? not even a participation trophy because you have to actually make money to get it. And so I don't, it's like best money maker. Like, yeah, but, but uh, here's, it, here's the thing. When has the Academy or the Golden Globes ever cared if the movie has made enough money? The only time that we've actually cared about it is when the biggest star of the year has a chance to come to the award. I'm putting my conspiracy theory hat on. I think I think the Taylor Swift movie is a lock to win this award. Oh, probably. Yes, it's the title of the award is the Cinematic and Box Office Achievement Award. And the nominees were Barbie, Guardians of the Galaxy, John Wick, Mission Impossible, Oppenheimer, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Super Mario Brothers, and Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour. And honestly, Mission Impossible feels like a pity numb because that movie financially was a disaster and was a box office bomb. Sure, it made the qualifying $150 million domestically that it needed to get the nomination, but there's no reason to put this on the list other than we want Tom Cruise to come to our awards, maybe. So many of us are having the same conversation. Be like, what the hell is this? What are we doing? Well, I Robert put it best. Our fellow Sif pop writer, Robert and editor, lovely human. He definitely called it. They just want the ratings boost of all of the Taylor Swift fans who tune in to see if she wins this award. Like if I was the people programming this award show on Sunday night, I would be like, 
every single commercial break. And coming up next, the ta- the will Taylor Swift win the award? Even if it's not the next award, just keep saying it so that they stay watching because, oh, they might announce it this time. Oh, they might announce Because as soon as she does or doesn't win, they're all tuning out. Everyone's gone. Just ratings tank. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. All righty. So let's we're going to go quickly through these acting categories, because as everyone knows, the Golden Globe splits it between motion picture comedy and musical and motion picture drama. And every year they like to pick one that doesn't actually count for the category. But what are we going to do? So first up, best supporting actress motion picture. We have Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple. Jodie Foster for Nyad, Julianne Moore for May-December, Rosamund Pike for Saltburn, and Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. I have only seen The Holdovers, May-December, and Oppenheimer in this group because some of these haven't even come out yet. My vote right up front is Divine Joy Randolph. She was outstanding in that movie. Just if you see one movie this holiday season, make it The Holdovers. It was fantastic. Although the holidays are over now, I guess. For everybody else. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, keep that Christmas spirit or holiday spirit going, right? So yeah. I, I, would, I would have to agree with that. Divine Joy Randolph definitely deserves it. So now we've got supporting actor Willem Dafoe for Poor Things, Robert De Niro, Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr., Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling for Barbie, Charles Melton for May December, and Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. This is a surprisingly stacked category. Right? I mean, two poor things, which I haven't seen that one yet. It's the top of my list to see as soon as it comes out. Back in July, I said, if anybody can catch Robert Downey Jr. at this point, like it's his to lose. But then I saw Barbie and I was like, well, if Ryan Gosling gets a nomination, which I didn't think he would, but then he did. And then I saw Killers of the Flower Moon and I'm like, well, now Robert De Niro has entered the race. Like Mm -hmm. it's. And if I'm if what I'm hearing from pre buzz about Willem Dafoe and Mark Ruffalo, like I heard they're anybody's game. I heard they're great in that. So Charles Melton in May December was phenomenal. My heart really wants Charles Melton to win. I liked him in that role so much that I think he definitely deserves it. I don't think he's gonna win. I do think that this is between Robert Downey Jr. and Robert De Niro. And a small part of me thinks that. It's just Robert Downey Jr.'s time. I hope so. I really, it's his time. I really want him to win. I'm rooting for Robert Downey Jr., not just because it's his time, but also because he was fantastic. And I agree. Yeah. He's, he's my favorite of these picks. So now we're into comedy and musical. Nicolas Cage for The Dream Scenario, Timothee Chalamet for Wonka, Matt Damon for Air, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, Joaquin Phoenix for Bo is Afraid, and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. This is a weird category. It is a weird category. Even though I didn't like the movie as much as I was hoping, I can't deny that Joaquin Phoenix is really great and Bo is afraid. I haven't seen that one. I've been hearing that. I'm actually surprised that he got the nomination because they so rarely remember movies that come out in the spring when it comes to these. So Matt Damon for Air and Joaquin Phoenix, uh, great that they got remembered. But uh, from what I'm hearing, I think this might be Jeffrey Wright's to lose. 
because I keep hearing great things about American fiction. And I, I want to see that one as soon as possible as well. Yeah, same. All right, let's go to actress in a musical or comedy. We've got Fantasia Barino for The Color Purple. Jennifer Lawrence for No Hard Feelings, which that this, one. This is the what are you doing wow. here of, of this category. The Natalie Portman May December. Alma Boisty for Fallen Leaves. Margot Robbie for Barbie and Emma Stone for Poor Things. An- another category that I've only seen three of the six. I don't, I honestly, this one feels like it could be anybody's except Jennifer Lawrence. But I mean, it feels like they kind of gave her the nom because they want her to come to their award show, which is what I always assume with the Globes. If something doesn't make sense, just assume there's a famous person in it that they really want to show up. There is a small part of me that thinks that Margot Robbie is going to take this home. I'm rooting for her to win, but I've also heard really good things about poor things well yeah so, so we'll see we'll see, see but this one doesn't um, this one's gonna be such an up in the air category too so we'll see so then that, that leads the best picture musical or comedy to barbie poor things american fiction the holdovers may december and air and if i i mean of the ones i've seen i i would definitely give it to the holdovers i can't fail this class oh don't sell yourself short mr coates i truly believe that you can this is another category where it's like, I don't know, like there doesn't seem to be one clear winner this year. Like it's going to be a tough call. And yeah. the, in this category, this I'm rooting for the holdovers. I'm not sure it's going to get the attention. I'm hoping that it will. I, well, the holdovers also didn't get a uh, screenplay and that that tends to point a direction. I can see barbie taking this because the golden globes is a glorified popularity contest that's true you like me right now you like me best performance by an actress in a motion picture or drama you could just stop at the first name i know right and the first name is lily gladstone killers of the flower moon okay we're good here then yeah i'm (laughs) this isn't to say that Everyone else here is not deserving. I don't know. For Lily Gladstone to go toe-to-toe with De Niro and DiCaprio. Haven't seen Maestro, so Carrie Mulligan might be great. Sandra Jeweler in Anatomy of the Fall was fantastic. I've not seen Nyad, so Annette Benning could be great. And same with uh, Kaylee Spaney. I hear she's fantastic in Priscilla. But honestly, I my two favorite performances of the year before I even saw most movies were Lily Gladstone and Greta Lee from Killers and Past Lives. Like those two are just top notch. Uh, so best performance by an actor in a motion picture. We've got Bradley Cooper for The Maestro, Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer, DiCaprio for Killers, Coleman Domingo for Rustin, Andrew Scott for All of Us Strangers, and Barry Keoghan for Saltburn. This is also a category I have not seen a ton of. My pick would be Killian Murphy. Me too. I think I think it's it's time that he gets a little more recognition than he's used to. Yeah, as being predominantly a supporting actor, yeah. you give the guy an opportunity and just knocks it out of the park. I'm rooting for him, and he's amazing in an Oppenheimer. So I did hear that Coleman Domingo is delivering like a career best, but I heard that Rustin as a whole wasn't that great of a movie. It just is one of those movies with a great performance inside of it. Alrighty, and then we've got best 
motion picture drama, Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Past Lives, Zone of Interest, and Anatomy of a Fall. What do you think? I like Killers of the Flower Moon a lot more than than you do. Yes. However, Oppenheimer is still my favorite movie of the year. So I'm going with Oppenheimer on this one. Yeah, it's my favorite of the year as well, minus Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. But I mean, that one's a vote with my heart, not (laughs) with my brain. So it would be Oppenheimer. Although I have to say, I'm very excited that Past Lives has been getting a lot of attention. Mm Mm-hmm. It's and for a right, movie that came out in June, rightfully deserved. Yeah, agreed. So I, even though that movie didn't really connect with me personally, I did really like it, and it stuck with me for a while. Like it was one that I really enjoyed thinking about. Um, it just didn't get me to that like over the top level. But like I would, I wouldn't be upset if that one got all the accolade from here on to the end of reward season. Cause it really was one that was fantastic and deserving. Um, well, I guess our last category here, just to be safe and good, uh, best director, motion picture, Bradley Cooper for the maestro, Greta Gerwig for Barbie, Yorgos Lanthimos for poor things, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, Martin Scorsese for killers of the flower moon and Celine song for past lives. I really want Christopher Nolan to finally get an Oscar, but I don't know if he's good this year. Uh, it's it's a tough call. I'm actually I'm actually rooting for Greta Gerwig. I am on too. this one, so it's tough. And it's funny that the whole Barbenheimer thing has just continued because I feel like those two are just going to be clashing pretty much right? all award season. Although my heart wants Greta Gerwig to win, I do think. Christopher Nolan that this is it. I I feel like this is it for him. I think this is what should happen. I think Greta Gerwig should get the credit for the screenplay. Barbie's strength is its screenplay. I think Nolan should get the director because this is his best movie. I do not think we're going to get another Oppenheimer out of him. It's been, it's been so long and he has never been awarded this award. And I feel like he deserves it this time. If I could give it to both of them, I would. Hashtag patriarchy. Hashtag, I'm just Some, Someone clearly didn't get the point of the Barbie movie. <laughs> Christopher Nolan, when you win your Oscar, you can come over to my Mojo Dojo Casa house and we'll celebrate with horses. There we go. You can explain the Godfather to me. Oh, buddy. Good talk. Lots of this went longer than I thought. But yeah. do you think we should get into the episode? I mean... Probably, but I have to edit a lot of that anyways. That's fine. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. This week, we will be watching Ahsoka Part 4, Fallen Jedi. Once upon a time... So we open up on Sabine trying to make contact with Hera and Home One, but is unable to connect. Hu Yang says he will keep working as Sabine goes outside to find Ahsoka. The ship is grounded and their comms are down. Ahsoka suggests that they try and locate the enemy ground base. The bad guys have the map 
and the means to get where they want to go. Ahsoka is worried that they have a real Sophie's choice in front of them. If they can't make the journey to find Ezra, then no one should. Sabine doesn't like that idea. They would be leaving Ezra stranded, possibly forever. Better that than allowing Thrawn's return as heir to the Empire. Sabine Ooh. decides that there's no point in arguing. Finding the ground base is the best course of action, and Ahsoka is concerned whether she can count on Sabine or not as she heads back into the ship. As Hu Yang exits the ship to make repairs, the camera goes to a wide shot. From the forest, we can see an assassin droid watching from the relatively sparse tree coverage. And I just wonder, how do they not see the assassin droids? I, d I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so confused. Plot armor, plot convenience, that's all this is, but... That's okay. I got it. These assassin droids were clearly wearing a pair of jorts and mm -hmm. were rubbing their hand in front of their face and you couldn't see them. And his name is John C. At the ruins, Shin informs Balin and Morgan that they have located the Jedi starship about a dozen clicks out. Morgan is concerned that the guards won't delay them long, so Balin sends Shin and Morak as well. Balin suggests that they best get underway soon. Morgan, surprised, asks if she detects a note of fear in his voice. Experience. And much like the final moments of the last episode, it's Grim Balin look to title screen this time around. That look, he's, man. He's great. He's great. He, and he gives good just, look. It bums me out that he's gone. Yeah, it but sucks. It is it is what it is, you know, can't can't really change what happened. But this was the episode that I want more of this guy. It's, yeah, this was his big showcase moment. So back up at the Jedi starship who shall not be named the Voldemort. I'm going to kill you, Harry Potter. Sabine has suited up in her gear. I bet you, you beautiful bastard, you suited up. Ahsoka, like my kids, is just farting around like she's got nothing to do. Just hovering over Sabine in the most irritating way ever and decides to double down by bringing up Ezra again. She says, sometimes we have to do what's right, regardless of our personal feelings. Sabine asks if she really believes that, and Ahsoka says, when the stakes are this high, she has to. Outside, Hu Yang is putting, on, putting the finishing touches on the ship. Yeah, finally some progress. When suddenly... He detects something in the very sparse tree coverage. He looks around, but doesn't see anything. When suddenly he is a thing behind! Oh, sorry. I don't know how to convey a jump scare through an audio format. <laughs> <laughs> very loud, clanky assassin droid, which makes a ton of noise in this next scene. It's just the most quiet droid you will ever meet. And somehow sneaks up on Hu Yang. And as this guy attacks Hu Yang, and they start trading blows back and forth in a Star Wars version of Rock'em Sock'em Robots. But, <laughs> but even with his extra appendages and the programming to train Jedi, he's still no match for an assassin droid. I'm sorry. I used to be much stronger. While struggling, the two droids manage to damage some of the ship, which causes the powers to fluctuate. Back inside the ship, Ahsoka and Sabine realize that something is wrong and run outside, weapons drawn. What was one assassin droid is actually several, 
of the guards that Morgan was referring to earlier. At first, I thought it odd that Ahsoka couldn't detect the life forms through the Force, but then I remembered that Filoni only uses the Force as a plot device and not how it actually works. But then I thought maybe I'd give him some credit and that these guys were possibly in the same situation as Marok, but on rewatch, they didn't fart green smoke, so I'm reverting back to my first theory. Ahsoka slices through everyone like butter and uses the bad guys as human shields, you know, like a good guy would. Once the two finish making quick work of the enemy, they get ready to head out. Hu Yang stops them and makes one simple request. Stay together. Don't tell me what to do. We transition to home one where a nervous lieutenant is chasing after Hera as she heads towards the ghost, a ship with a proper name, and pleads with her that she can't just leave. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever! Hera isn't about to sit still. She tells him to make up an excuse because she's leaving. As she's warming up the ship with her son, Jason, he asks why she can break the rules. Fair question. In an expert bit of parenting, she says the work version of Because I'm Mama. When you're a general, you can disobey orders too. As she flies the ghost out of home one, a flight of X-Wings forms up on her. She opens a channel to the lead X-Wing and thanks a familiar face for tagging along. Carson from The Mandalorian, who was also working at the same outpost base as Zeb for anyone who suffered through season three of Mando. So my question is, why no Zeb? It makes no sense that they would bring him uh, in only to bench him in the show he's needed for. Yeah, I mentioned this uh, in episode one, maybe? I don't know. You it's did, all running together. I mentioned w- this previously. I don't understand why why they would use this character instead of the final rebels character. Like why introduce him in the Mandalorian to not use him here? It just felt like the perfect setup. Yeah. It's like when you make the perfect segue into a video game chat and your friend then takes the ball and punts it across the court. Callback. There we go. <laughs> well played. I don't know. That's a good question, but Carson tells her she's risking an awful lot with this stunt. Hera replies, once a rebel, always a rebel, which I feel like Hera should have looked directly at the camera, smiled, and done a thumbs up, and then it should have (laughs) faded to black. That should have been the end of the episode. And that's the end of the episode. (laughs) So did you like this episode, Mike? Thanks, everyone. Good night. Hope you had fun. Yeah, I I agree. That was that line was a bit on the nose there, wasn't it? Well, back on Cedos, Morgan and Balin are looking over the cliff at the water, and Morgan tells him that once the guideline is established, they will be able to calculate the coordinates. Balin tells her that they need them to be exact, or they will be lost in space forever. Morgan isn't worried and tells him to have faith. Morgan turns on the orb again and starts sending the data up to the ship where her droid is calculating the coordinates. We then cut to Ahsoka and Sabine running through the forest. They come across Shin and Maroc just waiting for them. They stare at each other for a bit, and Sabine starts popping shots off at Shin as she runs into the trees, separating them from Ahsoka. Anyway, I started blasting. Ahsoka raises her lightsabers as Maroc does the same, and they once again square off with each other. Sabine is keeping up with Shin, but Shin blocks her blaster fire with ease. 
Shin then gets the upper hand and knocks Sabine against a tree, causing her helmet to contractually fly off because Natasha Liu Bordizzo's face should be covered as little as possible. First try. He pulls out her lightsaber and goes for a rematch from episode one. At last, we meet for the first time for the last time. Ahsoka and Marak are trading blows back and forth, being all stylistic and whatnot, when Marak decides to be a punk and starts making his lightsaber do the helicopter thing again. Ahsoka, who is just so over that nonsense, cuts his ass in half. Meanwhile, Sabine and Shin are having a pretty cool-looking fight when Marak explodes like a balloon in the 1989 Gotham Day Parade. Sabine looks over at Ahsoka and tells her to go get the map. She can take Shin. And Ahsoka considers her options, but quickly decides Sabine is right and heads off as Hu Yang suddenly stands up and says, am I a joke to you? <laughs> Back at the ruins, Balin sits waiting for the orb to finish transmitting the data. Everyone else is gone. Ahsoka walks up slowly, and he tells her that Anakin spoke highly of her. Interesting. He never mentioned you. He continues to tell her that everyone in the Order spoke highly of Anakin Skywalker, but few would live to see what he became. That was a little confusing. It's weird because Obi-Wan didn't even know that Anakin was Darth Vader. Mm, he, he knew. Okay, okay. He... He didn't want to believe, but he, deep down, he knew. Deep down. Okay. But yeah, I didn't think that that was just a publicized thing. I didn't realize that he would, Darth Vader wears a, a name tag that says, hi, my name is Anakin. Well, they have been really cagey about it. And that's why I, I have the same question. Why? So like, who knows? Does, so Balin clearly knows. Why does Balin know? Is this a char- is this an interesting character development? Was Balin in some way an inquisitor? Because the inquisitors worked for Vader. I know that there is a book in the new Disney canon that does cover Princess Leia's issues with I, I guess it does come out that she's the daughter of Darth Vader. And I think that once that's public knowledge, then it's pretty easy to figure out the lineage there. Although I guess she wasn't necessarily a Skywalker per se. I I don't know. I didn't read that book. I heard it was all right, but it was new Disney canon, so I didn't bother. And also it takes place more close to The Force Awakens than it does to the current time period. I know in the original Expanded Universe, it eventually came out that Darth Vader was Anakin Skywalker. But like even then, it was years after and people didn't care anymore. Some of the big wigs in like the New Republic knew because Luke was upfront about it, but it never really became an issue. So it's like, who who knows? Who knows? Who doesn't know? Why do they know? There's a whole book that is Disney canon in which Thrawn is just trying to figure it out by the end of the book he does figure it out they they never actually say whether or not he does but he kind of implies like okay you're anakin skywalker because thrawn had met anakin in the clone wars and so he kept testing vader and it was actually a really good book i enjoyed that one they go to batu which is in disney world oh okay. books doing double duty there you <laughs> go. building the thrawn lore and selling those disney world tickets Thrawn lore, is that the technical term? 
for that? Uh, yeah, Thrawn lore. Uh, but Ahsoka didn't come here to talk about her past. She came here to steal orbs and chew bubblegum. And she's all out of bubblegum. Balin says he's there to secure the future. Ahsoka asks why he thinks starting another war is the way to go about that. I'm not starting a war, but Thrawn will. He says it's an unfortunate evil, but one must destroy in order to create. Hey, not you got your Loki in my Star Wars. I know, I know. <laughs> now that they've both reached their minimum requirement of words needed to start a lightsaber fight, their blades are drawn and they begin. Ahsoka, feeling cocky, only takes out the one. It looks cooler when doing the samurai thing. You don't think that it looks cool if a samurai pulls out two swords? I really like the two-handed, arms extended, both of you samuraiing it up. Like, I think that looks... I think that looks cool. I mean, okay. the two swords is cool too, but two swords is more ninja-y and one sword samurai one sword is more samurai-y. Although I have to say, and I mentioned it in a previous episode, this is the episode where the samurai stylization of the lightsaber fights is starting to wear thin on me because like, all right, we get it. Just if you're gonna do the lightsaber fight, just do it. Stop, stop circling each other for God's sake. Mm -hmm. They circle each other, staring for a bit, and the clash of their lightsabers woke me up in time to see them circle some more. I thought I was going to be saying this part. As they are fighting, we get little cuts back to the ship, showing the progress bar of the coordinates decoder. Balin has a real Darth Vader style that puts a focus on power over finesse. It's a very fun way to see someone fight. We cut over to Sabine and Shin, who are still going at it. Shin knocks Sabine down, and Sabine tries to force push her to a nice fake out to the audience because we already know she can't. But Shin didn't watch the previously on, so she braces herself for the invisible face slap she thought was coming. When she realizes that there's nothing coming, she taunts Sabine. You have no power over me. While their blades are locked, Balin tells Ahsoka that her legacy, like her master, is nothing but death and destruction. Ahsoka doesn't like this and knocks Balin back enough that she's able to grab the orb and cut the signal to the ship. But the orb has been plugged in for a while, so it's running hot. It's hot on the bottom. It's hot on the bottom. It's hot on the bottom! We cut back to Sabine and Shin fighting, and although she doesn't have the Force, what she does have is gauntlet blasters. So she shoots Shin's saber out of her hand, and Sabine thinks she has her dead to rights, but Shin throws down a smoke bomb and takes off running. Shin gets to Balin and Ahsoka, and Ahsoka is momentarily distracted by Sabine's absence. Jedi can sense when loved ones are killed. Sabine not being there should not have been a surprise, nor should it have caused Ahsoka to waver. It's little things like these that cause me to go insane when people say that Filoni is the best thing that Star Wars has ever seen. It's just, it's little details. <laughs> if Sabine was dead, Ahsoka would have felt it in the Force. They're close enough. She should not have been concerned. Anyway, so Ahsoka may have forgotten how to sense things through the Force, but she didn't forget how to Force grab someone and throw them against a giant slab of rock, which she promptly does to Shin, knocking her out. Balin, of course, doesn't get freaked out because he doesn't sense his Padawan's death in the Force. He knows that she's just unconscious, so it's fine. Balin doesn't like this at all. 
and ferociously pummels Ahsoka's lightsaber, forcing her to the edge of the cliff. Just as they are pushing against each other, Sabine shows up and grabs the orb, telling Balin to back off Ahsoka or she'll blast the orb. Balin doesn't give an F and knocks Ahsoka off the cliff in one swift stroke of his blade. See, that's how you do it. If you're cornering somebody, right? you just, you just no, no monologuing, no, you know what? I'm just going to let you go. And every and- you can, you can be the one person that I let go. No, you just kick him off the ledge and just call it a day. This is Sparta. This, this whole fight with Sabine and or Sabine with Ahsoka <laughs> and and Balin is awesome. Like I love Balin's fighting style. I love Ahsoka's fighting style. Unfortunately, the Clone Wars and Rebels for the few episodes she was in have kind of ruined me for watching Ahsoka fight because. She's so cool in an animated format. Obviously, you can't make Rosario Dawson do the things that animated Ahsoka does. But like her own fighting style, especially with her dual lightsabers, is so cool. And just this whole battle was great. He is very Vader-like in his style of combat. And uh, it was fun to watch them go back and forth. But yeah, he knocks the shit out of her. Yeah, I would have to agree. Very calm and calculated it's just ruthless and that's what you need in situations like this just go for the kill don't go for a mortal wound and hope that they'll just die eventually even though she doesn't die at all but he stabbed me through the gut i got better <laughs> i mean but they're they're lightsabers they don't kill anyone now so whatever it's true. It's yes. fine. we already went over this she yeah Lightsabers are like little pointy sticks. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's all good. Like lightsabers, Sabine's guns are pretty much useless too because she pops off some shots at Balin like an amateur and he blocks them like a pro. So she goes back to her clearly empty threat of aiming the blaster at the orb. He tells her to do as her master says and to destroy the orb, but she continues to hesitate. Balin then continues to taunt her and says that he knows that she feels Ezra is the only family she has left, and that's what's holding her back. Her family died on Mandalore because her master didn't trust her. Balin then pulls up a chair and sits on it backwards, turns his cap around and says, Hey man, let's rap a minute. It's cool. We share a common goal. You want to go to the far-off galaxy? I want to go to the far-off galaxy. Why don't we just go to the far-off galaxy together? Promise, nothing will go wrong, and no one's gonna hurt you. Do it for Ezra. Think about it. She's out in the middle of nowhere with some dude she barely knows. You know, she looks around her. What does she see? Nothing but open ocean. Ah, there's nowhere for me to run. What am I gonna do? Say no? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That seems really dark. No, no, it's not dark. You're misunderstanding me, bro. I think I am. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Because if the girl said no, then the answer obviously is no. No. But the thing is, is she's not gonna say no. She would never say no because of the implication. Sabine is really won over by Balin's cool youth pastor speech and hands the orb over to him. Because of the implication. I hated this scene. I I hated this part so much. I can't believe that she was persuaded by this. I mean, we should have mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, but like that was hardcore foreshadowing. Well, yeah, of course. But (laughs) we should destroy the orb if it means no one gets to go. Well, yeah, you realize that's not going to happen. Because of the implication. 
I think I would have loved this part even more if Balin were to take the orb and it would have been a situation like in Spaceballs where it would have been like, fold you. No, that's okay. not what you were supposed <laughs> okay. to do. I was going to say, where is he going with this? I mean, you said it a minute ago. Don't just hesitate. Don't fight to wound. He could have easily ripped that thing out of her hand and just like force pushed her back, especially because, and here we go, drink. When we get to where we're going, they don't use Sabine or team up with Sabine and they treat her like she's a problem. And like, like why bring her? Why'd you bring her then? It doesn't make any sense. If you don't have a reason to bring her, why bring her? I can't imagine if Balin was, oh, I can have a second young apprentice. Like, it didn't feel like that's where he was going with it. I don't know. It's weird that he needed her to tag along because <laughs> there really was no reason for her to tag along. The only reason to do it is so the show can happen. So she gives the orb over to Balin and suddenly starts choking and falls to the ground to reveal Shin directly behind her doing a force choke. But Balin is like, Shin, I just said she's cool. Oh my God, can you just be cool? Once, please, just once. Can you just once be cool? So Shin lets her go and Balin replaces the orb to complete the download. I just said she was cool. Back on the Voldemort. I was beginning to worry you had lost your way. Hu Yang is still doing repairs when a transmission comes through from Hera. Hera and her squad drop out of hyperspace and Hu Yang fills her in on the hyperspace ring and Ahsoka and Sabine's status. Carson confirms the location of the ring and Hera orders the squad to block its path. Back on the surface, Balin is informed that the calculations are complete. He then takes his lightsaber and stabs the orb through destroying it. They then head to their shuttle with Sabine. Because of the implication. We then see the giant ring rise through the clouds as it enters orbit, but Hera and her squad are there to meet it as it leaves the atmosphere. Morgan gives the order to make the jump to hyperspace, and it's a good thing that the ship is a giant ring. It makes the jump and also creates some kind of energy output that causes the New Republic's ships to go spiral it. Two of the X-Wings crash into each other and fly off. The other three and the Ghost regain control just in time to see the ring wink out of existence. Back on the planet, Hu Yang comes out of the ship trying to contact Sabine and Ahsoka to inform them that he's completed repairs, but he receives no response. We wipe over to the ruins where the water is crashing against the rocks as the camera pans from above over the sea. The sea turns into a glowing platform that Ahsoka is lying on as the scene transitions into the world beyond worlds that we previously saw in the Rebels TV show. And was my one hope that we might actually get a split universe in which my Legends books could come back. Unfortunately, that was not the case. You did nothing unlike it! Ahsoka wakes up, looks around, realizing where she is. She hears a voice that says, Hello, Snips. Didn't expect to see you so soon. She turns around to see Anakin Skywalker standing in front of her, and it's Darth Vader's theme song to credits. <laughs> Mike. You like this episode? That should have been part of last week's episode. Um, it's complicated because I thought that there were cool parts to it, but overall, I thought this episode was just fine. 
I didn't think it was anything special, but overall, it was generally fine. What, let me pose a hypothetical for you. What if this week's episode and last week's episode were, in fact, one episode? Like, if you watched it start to finish, maybe trim a bit of the fat tr- just to make I'd- it a a tighter episode like how how much does that improve this episode for you i was gonna say that i think if you combine them and trim it i think it would have been would have been all good i agree i'm in the exact same place that seems to be i don't want to beat a dead horse we keep saying it but it's a disney plus problem and it just it it's really ruining these shows in a way it's not ruining them but it is is causing them to be less re-watchable like it's making me not want to go back and revisit any of them because it's like I don't care like you you obviously are wasting my time by stretching it out and not providing me with the substance to fill the time there are some shows where I wish we could have like Strange New Worlds a great example there are only 10 episodes every episode is used perfectly I want more like 20 episodes of Strange New Worlds please but here with these Disney Plus shows, I'm sitting here and I'm going, that could have been five episodes. Why did it need to be eight? Mm-hmm. That could have been three episodes. Why did it need to be four? Like, I, it's 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 weird and annoying. But I think that the dialogue is once again atrocious in this episode. And the, the scene between Balin and Ahsoka was no better than the scene between Ahsoka and Sabine. But at the very least, the charisma of Balin's skull and Ray Stevenson's performance at least helped in that situation. Plus, when a bad guy and a good guy kind of talk slowly at each other, you get you kind of feel like it's because they're trying to measure each other up. Whereas when Sabine and Ahsoka do it, it's like, guys, you've known each other for years. Stop being babies. Um, My only real negative in terms of Anakin Skywalker showing up was... The CGI de-aging that they did in this one scene looked really wonky. And I don't know if it was just the glow effect that was doing it. I think it was the the glow effect. I don't know. I think you could have gotten away with just making him in his old age and it would have looked just fine. Yeah. Because in Obi-Wan, the one scene that, you know, Anakin was in, it was like, oh, you're a Padawan in this. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Okay, I, I will believe it. I'll believe it. That's fine. He, but he looks like he's 40. A lot of things that made me wonder about you. The taste in music. The fact that you look like a 40-year-old man. You know what? I didn't care. Because the scene was cool. And it. I agree. Yeah, overall, it's a great third act to... Uh, a second and a half act and third act to the first two that were started in the previous episode, so... Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. It was it wasn't the worst, but it wasn't the best. So it was acceptable. Well, I've got two nerd rants today, but I don't want to do both. So I'm going to let you choose. Do you want to finally hear why I get so annoyed about spaceships going into hyperspace right from the planet? Or do you want to hear about my thoughts about young Jason Syndulla? Let's go with the hyperspace one. OK, let's let's hear it. Go ahead. All right. You know what really grinds my gears? That's not how the force works. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. It's a nerd rant time, people. And this is a really nerdy one, because nobody but me cares about this. Nobody. Nobody! There is a ship 
that was created by the Expanded Universe and adopted by Dave Filoni himself in the Rebels TV show. It's called an Interdictor Cruiser. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's an Interdictor class Star Destroyer. What makes this ship special is that it creates artificial gravity wells. The reason it does this is because planets have gravity. Hyperdrives don't work inside a gravity well of a planet. It's dangerous. They all have safeties built in so you don't destroy it. In fact, they even in The Force Awakens, they turn off the thing that would stop them from coming out of hyperspace so that they can get through that shield on the the star killer base planet discount death star three hmm. so mm-hmm. the hyperdrives have this feature built in they you cannot go to hyperspace if you're within the gravity well of a planet you have to be outside of that well which is not just the atmosphere it is a distance away far enough away that you can float out like farther than what satellites would be floating in because they're still within the gravity of the planet an interdictor cruiser is creates false gravity wells so that it can pull a ship out of hyperspace. It's how the Empire would capture, like, rebels, like, traveling through hyperspace. They'd set up one of these things, and then they'd they'd ambush them, and they'd keep them from jumping to hyperspace then. Lots of real fun can come out of this, especially in the books. They use them great. And they introduced it in Rebels, which means they're aware that this is a possibility. And yet, time after time, ships are constantly in the atmosphere of planets, jumping to hyperspace. I will give them a pass. This giant hyperspace ring looks powerful enough that it says F gravity wells. I don't care. I'm huge. Mm. Like So I could see maybe that would make sense. But they did it in the last episode. They did it in Rogue One. They do it constantly in the Clone Wars. Like, they're just taking off from planets left and right, just shooting into hyperspace. They did it in Boba Fett. Uh, not Boba Fett. The Mandalorian. Boba Fett does it from the freaking planet they're on. It drives me insane. It is so freaking annoying. And they even wrote it into the new canon books. The new canon books say it. They say it's the thing. And they're like, we're going to take all of the books into consideration from here on out. Everything is canon. No, you all just ignore it because you don't want to do the work. I hate you. That's why I get annoyed. Ranch over. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Hmm. Okay. If you say so. Anyway, I think perhaps maybe it's time to talk about Lighter Fair in our official canon. You know, my pep pep always said, if you want to do something right, you make a list. He's making a list. I'll put it on the list. It's quite an impressive list. Thank you. He's quite clever, you know, for a human being. In this segment, Mike and I will share our lists of the Star Wars Cinematic Universe, old and new canon alike. I will do my best not to upset everyone with my hot takes. And at the end of these eight weeks, we will once again do a combined ranking. However, this time we will employ a Trump rule, which we have decided to dub the sheave rule. If one of us, if one of us has it higher on the list, I got to remember that you're going to do that. (laughs) If one of us has it higher on the list, we will wait to talk about it when it's at its highest spot. An additional note, we will not be including Ahsoka in the initial list. We will wait to add it at the end. Also, we will not be including the two Ewok Adventure movies because we didn't feel it was right to include since we both haven't seen them in three decades. This week, we'll be discussing 12 through 10. So, Nick, what is your number 12? My number 12 is Tales of the Jedi. Flight Sheep. 
What is your number 12? My number 12 is Last Jedi. Okay, so we can talk about it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Look at that. You added at 12. I added at 15. Go for it. You start us off. The continuity in all three of these movies is an absolute mess. And yes. the problem with Ryan Johnson's movie is that it is just way too different from the other two where Ryan Johnson is trying to undo a lot of the stuff that was set up in The Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker is trying to undo almost all of the stuff that happens in Last Jedi. So it's a mess. And there's some scenes in this that I just genuinely cannot get over. Like, I thought the part with Leia in space was interesting, but it also looked ridiculous. They could have done a better job at the look. But like, I was so blown away by how many people really hung on to that. Because I'm like, oh, they're going to do the thing like they did in the Force Unleashed where Starkiller uses the Force to flow back in. See, but that's the thing. I hadn't played Force Unleashed. So I was like, okay, I don't know what is going on. And also, for all of us who don't know anything that's going on, who don't know that Leia, like, kind of trained a little bit, maybe? I don't know. Um, That scene did not make a whole lot of sense from a context standpoint. And the whole casino planet thing. (laughs) Harry Potter uh, planet? Yes. And this is also where you see some of the, we don't know what to do with Finn aspect. (laughs) Some of it? (laughs) okay like a a pretty good amount of it however there were a couple scenes in this that i just i love to pieces so the ray and kylo ren fight at the end i really like that scene even though i don't agree with the final execution of it did you just make an unintentional pun yes the final execution of it yes yes (laughs) i did i did mean to do that of course But to build up Snoke as this all-knowing guy who it seems like he's going to be the big bad and then just to to kill him and then to pull this crap like, oh, Ray, your parents don't matter. Like, "Mm, okay, cool. That's that's fine. Well, I have a question for you. Okay. After The Last Jedi came out, prior to seeing what Rise of Skywalker did, What were your initial thoughts? Like, were you on the everything in this movie is stupid or these are all really interesting ideas? I can't wait to see how it progresses. And you're only falling back on that. It was all stupid because the third movie just completely pissed all over everything. Sure. Yeah. All of the above. I have very complicated (laughs) feelings about about this when I walked out of the theater, because I think from a filmmaking and story perspective, There's some things that worked and there's some things that didn't work. And upon watching Rise of Skywalker, Last Jedi kind of rises up in my estimation because Last Jedi, there's no continuity and it's J.J. Abrams is just trying so hard to undo everything that Ryan Johnson did. And I, I feel like the Palpatine thing was just something to be like, oh, you can't forget about you know, you can't forget about all this old stuff. So let's put that in and make sure that you all remember that this is a thing. I feel like Ryan Johnson was trying to make a movie. J.J. Abram was trying to make a piece of content. 
the Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker were Easter egg heavy. Remember berries. They were the member berry movies. That's what they were like. They wanted to play on your nostalgia. They wanted to give the fans what they wanted. They were they were movies made by committee. I feel like The Last Jedi was I feel like it was the one movie that they were like, okay, make us a movie. We got our billions of dollars from the first one. We're good financially. You make the movie you want to make, which I think was a good idea, but also a bad idea because it's like he should have been the one in charge from the start, not halfway through. And then they get cold feet and they take it away from him. Yes, I can understand. I, I definitely agree with you without context going into the eighth Star Wars movie in the franchise to see some of the things that you see feels weird, doesn't fit right. I actually really loved a lot of what Ryan Johnson did with the Force. I got the impression that Ryan Johnson read the books, or at least read some books, and had an idea of what the Force could do and decided to be creative with it and say, hey, well, this is something they can do. Like, for example, the Luke thing at the end where he's projecting himself with the Force. That's in the EU. Luke does that. He does it with a ship. He makes the enemies think that they're well. They're chasing the ship, and he creates an illusion, a force illusion around the ship, and then he tells Han to stop, and he stops the ship, but he keeps his illusion going. So the ship that's chasing them keeps going and chases after the illusion and passes right by them, and then they're able to get away. Like mm-hmm. it's it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of focus. Luke was exhausted afterwards. So like the fact that he was able to do that in this movie, like I'm like, yes, finally, somebody understands how the force works. (laughs) And then, and then, and it just, and then you saw everything that happened. Like, I really liked the ideas here. I absolutely hated the space fuel race across the, like, obviously no one ever saw what micro jumps are. Like, see what you do is you take, a little, sh- you take a couple shifts and you just go a little bit of a ways, like, like jump away and jump back. Like you're right there on top of them. You're no longer slowly chasing them across space in the world's stupidest race. Like it was so weird. Like why that was part of the movie. Also plenty of time to send Finn and Rose off on their side quest. They could go hyperspace out for reasons. Mm-hmm. The character of Rose drives me absolutely crazy. And I want to be clear here now. I absolutely think it's appalling the treatment that the actress received. That was disgusting. That being said, the character was stupid and they should should not have been incorporated into the movie or used the way that she was used. I think it was. I I think stupid is a strong word. I think there's just some poor decisions made well in terms of dumb decisions were made like she was mishandled at every turn well and then she was Finn's sidekick for half the movie and that was dumb like but but then also for her to do nothing in rise of skywalker uh, was well that was a slap in the face from the disney side of things because they reacted to the internet she should have had a bigger part in Rise of Skywalker. Give the people who pretend to like Star Wars, but really are just a bunch of toxic assholes, the biggest middle finger ever. But instead, they kowtowed to them and they said, okay, we'll remove the character you don't like because she's a girl. Like, it's so stupid. I hate them. 
Mm-hmm. Every decision that Disney has made with this franchise has been a bad one. Like, it just mm. drives me nuts. Anyways, The Last Jedi. I honestly mm. thought that Finn should have made a sacrificial play at the end of Last Jedi. They already wasted the character. That would have actually made a good move for the character. His plan to sacrifice himself would have been interesting. It would have been an interesting sacrifice because, again, it would have been something we wouldn't have expected from this franchise. But they go back on that, which was weird. Those big old AT-ATs were pretty cool. <laughs> like the, the red salt planet was that, pretty cool. That was that was cool. Um, what what do you think of Mark Hamill? I like some of what he was doing. I, I feel like that's par for the course. I feel I I mean it, the drinking weird green boob juice from a weird boob lizard who listen don't looks don't at, knock, looks at don't, the camera and is like you seeing this? <laughs> don't don't knock it until you try it. You're right. I really have not suckled the nipple of a giant sea beast to receive his juices. It's it's so weird. Like I I am of the camp where I don't think that people's reaction to the hashtag not my Luke Skywalker. What they were saying was that 25 years had passed since Return of the Jedi. A lot can happen to a person in 25 years. No, no, it can't. No, it can't. The internet's a, right. The internet's a right. A lot can happen to change a person's demeanor and to maybe make someone slip. You don't know. I personally like to say that Luke Skywalker never met Mara Jade and therefore he never fell in love. He never got to experience family. He never got to experience joy. Everything has just been a shit show. They live in the darkest timeline and therefore he had a moment of weakness in which he almost killed his nephew. The dark side slipped in. I'm not saying that I think it should have happened. I'm just saying we don't know what happened to Luke in his life that could have caused him to get to that point because they refuse to give us any backstory unless they tell me that Luke didn't experience like a horrific tragedy, which would really mess him up completely. You, you, if you can't tell me that didn't happen, then I don't know that it didn't. And therefore his reaction could have been justified. Do I like that for Luke Skywalker? Absolutely not. I think the expanded universe version of Luke is way better. He he was awesome. And he was everything. And, and that's another thing that annoys me. Hey, all you people that pretend to like Star Wars, if you like the good Star Wars, then go read the books because they didn't do any of the things you hated in these movies. I'm Again, I'm getting off topic. Yeah, no, I didn't like what they did with Luke. I thought it was, again, interesting. And it might have actually gone somewhere had they continued this thought process, but they didn't. And so therefore, it's ultimately worthless and useless and dumb. It was a cool little fight at the end with Kylo. <laughs> I, did. I did. I did like that. one. That was fun. Overall, the movie was dumb, but it had some good ideas in it. I liked where Ryan Johnson was going. I think if Ryan Johnson had somebody who actually, you know, kept up, I think together they would make a pretty awesome Star Wars movie. Yeah, but that's not what happened. So, yeah. Oh, also, I hate the humor of the sequel trilogy. I keep forgetting to mention it. Now that this is the last of the sequel trilogy movies that we will be talking about, I think the humor is just so wrong and too modern. I think the Rogue One and Solo movies nailed Star Wars humor. But the sequel trilogy, like, and as much as I love Oscar Isaac, I think part of the problem is him. 
his brand of humor throughout these movies just doesn't sit right with me. It feels wrong and gross. And I don't know why. Wrong and gross. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair all right. That's all I have to say about The Last Jedi. You got any last final thoughts before we move on? No, I've given my last thoughts on Last Jedi. What's your number uh-huh. 11? My number 11 is the long-running Clone Wars series. Did you mention that one yet? Yes, that was, I mentioned that last week. Okay, so the Clone Wars series and I have a, a long-trying relationship. It, it's like everything else. It has some really excellent moments and has some really bad moments. Mm-hmm. Super terrible. At one point, I I got a little bitter and I rewatched every episode and I created a document which cataloged all the inconsistencies within its own show, as well as how they didn't quite understand the lore of Star Wars and then all the canon that they were breaking. Because at the time, everything was canon and the show just started erasing canon. It just said, no, we trump the books. So what we say goes. And so they just started canceling shit out killing characters that were alive later like it just it annoyed the crap in me so i I made a whole list but the show as a whole got better as it went Mm -hmm. it started out really weak like rebels a little juvenile although not as juvenile it felt like they were they were aiming it at a teen audience as opposed to a tween audience Mm -hmm. and clone wars like by the end those last several episodes those the arc on disney plus i have to say the, the Siege of Mandalore stuff, the, all the stuff with Ahsoka. Like, once they figured out Ahsoka's character, whenever she was on screen, it was usually really good. Mm-hmm. And I, I really enjoyed a lot of her stuff. Probably somewhere around season three, whenever she got the outfit change. Like, when uh, she stopped wearing yeah. the tube top and they gave her two lightsabers, that's when Ahsoka started getting actual development and started to be interesting up until then she was like a really obnoxious character we got to introduce a few yang in the clone wars the the arc with the the youngling jedi who were learning to do their lightsabers that arc was great clone wars was great for little mini arcs which i think clone wars figured it out and in terms of how to tell a story both overarching and episodic Mm-hmm. in an interesting and new way and i think they should continue that and i think bad batch is kind of doing that only it's a little more focused but i really enjoyed the bad batch arc in the the most recent season of clone wars i really enjoyed the siege of mandalore like i said the darth maul stuff was really cool even though his brother savage opress was was dumb as hell he was still kind of cool as hell like mm-hmm. <laughs> that episode where palpatine went to mandalore and effed their shit up was Mm -hmm. awesome so like this show has so many great moments but it has just as many low lows like the little frog general guy that had a droid adventure oh with like four of the most boring episodes ever three and a half of the most boring episodes ever because once that clone trooper got involved it was pretty cool but oh woof my goodness anyways what did you think about the clone wars (laughs) I, I largely agree with everything that you said. It had some pretty amazing moments. I just think overall, I enjoyed the other one a lot more. And mm, which we will maybe, talk about much oh, later. I, I okay. I guess we'll we'll see about that. So um that was your number eleven, right? Correct. My number eleven is visions. Okay. That was the one I mentioned as my number thirteen. Go for it. What do you like about the visions? 
I just think that seeing these different approaches in terms of animation style and what non-American and Hollywood studios are doing, I really like that. And look, I'm not much of an anime guy at all, mm-hmm. but I can't deny that some of these are just outstanding. The second season, I think overall has better episodes, but there's still like a couple from that first season that I was like, oh, this is really cool. I'm really looking forward to more of this. But these are some really cool, really innovative stories to tell and allowing creators to do their vision of it and not just be so beholden to what's already been done. I love that. And I want to continue to see to see more of that. I 100% agree. I absolutely love the different animation styles. Some of these episodes I don't love a whole lot, but like some of them I are just so great and more so great than not. Visually, I have an animation style that I find more aesthetically pleasing. And so when they get more gritty and asymmetrical, I'm not as much of a fan, but like that doesn't necessarily rule things out. Like my favorite one, my favorite two are Sith and the Duel. Those are both so different. And if I recall correctly, I think Sith was mostly with like watercolors and the Duel was like all black and white, like scribbles and scratches and almost like a comic page. It's those that I really find to be fun. Like when you can do something really creative and great with them, I, I, I really love I'd say my only knock against this show, and it's not the show's fault, but I don't understand why they can't include some quote unquote legends stories in there. Animate something and say it's legends. Why can't we do like it's already you're already saying none of this is canon anyway. So why not? Why not do something fun that tosses us fans of those old books a bone? I would love to see that in season three. So maybe my fingers are still crossed for a maybe someday. But yeah, overall, everything that Visions has been doing is great. And I can't wait to see the next season. Do you have a favorite? I think the two that you mentioned, the the Sith and the, the Duel, both of those it's it's pretty hard not to like both yeah. of those. I do like the duel ever so slightly a little bit more, but it just it sucks because aren't both of those like the first episodes of both of their respective seasons? Yeah, I think they were actually. Oh, way to, you know, start off on a high note and then leading strong. I liked that one. I also really liked the spy dancer one. That one was fun. And the um owl, owl song. The one with the little girl and like the mountain that I thought that one was fun. I love that one because of the animation. And then I really like that ninth Jedi one where they're mm-hmm. like building their lightsabers. And like that, that's that was a cool episode. The more outlandish they become, the more fun. I, I really enjoy them. So that was your 11. What is yeah. your 10? My 10? Your 10. My 10. This is where I have Revenge of the Sith. Sheep, 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 sheep. Um, my number ten is the first, the shorter Clone Wars. That's gonna be a hardcore sheep. We're not even gonna talk about that next week. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not talking about Revenge of the Sith next week. Okay. So. I didn't think so. I, I know, I know, I have Revenge of the Sith a lot lower than a lot of people do. Okay, so... That's okay, you don't you don't like deep emotional moments. I get that, it's fine. Deep emotional, so that's it. 
that's that's you, it yeah the, the, yeah, your 10 i did my 10 that's it we did it yeah we did we, it woo! Woo! what do we got <laughs> coming up next week mike our next episode will be Star Wars Ahsoka Part 5, Shadow Warriors. Ahsoka confronts her past while Hera and her allies undertake a rescue mission. Until next time, please like, subscribe, be sure to set your assassin droids to silent before going on a mission, and share the podcast with someone who might enjoy it. Rate us five stars on your listening app of choice, and also you can find us on social media. I am at mlhilty2452 on Instagram, Threads, Blue Skies, and serialized. And you can find me on Blue Sky, Letterboxd, and Twitter at Jagged2319. You can also contact the show at GeekSpeakLouder at gmail.com or on Blue Sky by searching GeekSpeakLouder Than Nerds. You can also join our Facebook group and follow us on Twitter at GeekSpeakLoud. Until next time, I'm Nick Farrow. And I'm Mike Hilty. Thank you for tuning in to Geek Speak Louder Than Nerds. Catchphrase. Bye, everybody. Chief, what do we got coming up next, Mike? What do we got coming up next, Mike? Week? Chief. That'll be for all of five people who understand that reference. I feel like there's going to be at least six people who understand that. That's that's fair. That's like 40% of our audience. Exactly. Chief. Because Natasha Liu... Oh, shit. How do you pronounce her name? Natasha Liu Bordizzo. Natasha Liu Bordizzo. All right, Natasha Liu Bordizzo. All right, here we go. Take two. Chief. It was weird that he needed her to come. Oh, God, that was that's what she said, phrasing. Yep, I'm glad that you did it, and I, uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't. I heard, I heard it. I heard it after I said it. Chief. Don't call it the Book of Boba Fett. Don't call it Mandalorian. Call it Star Wars New Republic. And... Do mini arcs, do like four episode arcs where it's like this month, we're going to do four episodes in a row of the Mandalorian next month. It's going to be Luke and his Jedi Academy. And we're going to do maybe three episodes. Then we're going to do one episode with Boba Fett. And it's going to be super cool. And then we're going to go off and do an Ahsoka adventure. Like we're going to go see the rebels character, like stuff like that. And then it just, it could just keep going 24 episodes of the year, different production teams, different writers. They're all contributing, and it's all Star Wars, the New (laughs) Republic, just like Star Wars Clone Wars. I don't know why they haven't cracked that code yet, because I think that would ultimately get them away from a lot of the criticisms they are receiving. Chief, 